And all of this work is with the aim of trying to figure out how we can live a better life. How can our emotions help us achieve richer and fuller lives? Listening to WERA 96.7 FM Radio Arlington. This is Real Fiction. I'm your host, Lori Messing McGarry. My guest today is an expert on boredom. Andreas Elpidoru studies this emotional state, which is typically viewed as a negative force. But are there upsides to feeling bored and frustrated? In fact, is it possible that boredom, frustration, and anticipation can ignite a more powerful and positive force to improve our lives? Professor Andreas Elpidoro makes a good case for this in his new book, Propelled, How Boredom, Frustration, and Anticipation Can Lead Us to the Good Life. There is new research about all of this. And as we live through an unprecedented period of restriction and isolation, we all have a lot to consider. All Real Fiction episodes are archived on realfictionradio.com and your favorite podcast platforms. I'll be back in a moment with Andreas Elpidoru. My guest today is Andreas Elpidoru. He's an associate professor of philosophy at the University of Louisville. He specializes in the philosophical study of the mind and has published on the nature of emotions, consciousness, and cognition. His most recent book, Propelled, How Boredom, Frustration, and Anticipation Lead Us to the Good Life, was published this summer by Oxford University Press. The book explores how negative emotions and states of discontent can help us live a flourishing life. Dr. Elpidoro joins me from Louisville, Kentucky to discuss his work. Andreas, welcome to Real Fiction. Hi, Laurie. Thank you so much for having me. It's a real pleasure. It's a pleasure to have you because I feel that uh, we are all in what feels like a chronic state of discontent. And when I learned about your book, I was so interested to uh, talk with you about it because, you know, we we hear the words, I'm bored, I'm isolated. Um, And it's not just maybe a passing phase that we're going through, but this is a this is a long term battle. And you have come up with um, several pieces of the puzzle, as I mentioned in the title of your book. But maybe where we can start is that I've always learned or I've always been sort of taught that boredom is a negative emotional state. And you argue that there might be some upsides to this, uh, to, to boredom. So first of all, in clinical terms, what's happening in our mind when we're bored? Okay, great. That's a that's a really difficult question, partly because we are just in the last decade or so trying to understand the neurological workings of boredom. 
So this is still a pretty new and exciting field. Um, but that doesn't mean that we don't know a great deal about boredom. And so we can define boredom, and this is a common definition, as an unpleasant state that signifies a dissatisfaction with our current situation. So it's telling us that what we're doing right now, do something else. It's not what you want to be doing. And at the same time, it has a desire in it, um, a strong desire for us to do something else. So if we focus on that definition, then we can start looking at things on the personal level, on the psychological level, but also um, when we study our brains. So we know that we don't pay attention when we're bored with our situation. And when we start looking at the brain, we found similarities between um, the brain of an individual who is bored and also the brains of children with ADHD. And that supports this idea that perhaps we're not paying enough attention or it's really hard for us to pay attention Another interesting idea is that we know that, I mean, if, if you recall what it feels like to be bored, one of the elements, it's, it's, it's a type of mental fatigue. We're tired. And so when you look at the brain, you also find signs of that fatigue right there. And so we, we try to investigate boredom at different levels at the same time. Is this why I can be incredibly busy uh, and also feel bored because the truth is I'm doing most of my work from home and in an environment where I'm not getting the same kind of stimulation or contrast. Good. And I think that speaks to another characteristic of boredom that it comes out when we start asking the question, well, how can I be bored while I'm doing things? Well, the truth is, is that yes, we want stimulation when we experience boredom, but not all stimulation will um, help us get out of boredom. So we also want meaning and meaningful stimulation. Um, so if you think, for instance, I find meetings uh, pretty boring most of the time, or if you, if you consider what happens during mandatory work when you're told what to do, um, those are situations that keep us pretty busy. But at the same time, it's hard for us to find some meaning or intrinsic motivation to do that kind of work. And so typically when that is lacking, we think our situation, ah, this is not a situation that I would like to be involved in. And then the sensation, emotion of boredom arises. Uh, you have written a book that deals not only with boredom, but also with the, um, with the emotions or states of frustration and anticipation. And I know there are books about boredom and they've been you know, in the press a bit because of how we're all trying to navigate this uh, global pandemic. But now we're several months into this. And what I find really fascinating about your research is that you have looked at the bigger picture and brought into brought into play into this kind of puzzle almost uh, frustration and anticipation. What what did you see missing from the research that led to your um, your own analysis and spending a what must have been a few years on um, putting this book together? Yeah, well, one of the realizations there are a couple of realizations that all came together in some way. And I've been doing a lot of work on boredom, and one of the first realizations was the discovery that. Boredom isn't necessarily or always bad. There are certain cases in which boredom might be beneficial. But that led me down the path of start thinking, well, if that applies to boredom, 
It might apply to other emotions or other states that we experience. And so that was one part of the puzzle. The other part of the puzzle is a different kind of realization that I think we all know it. It's just hard to comprehend it. And sometimes it's hard to know what to do with it is that we don't just experience one emotion at a time. Our lives are filled with emotions. And sometimes there's just so many, we don't even know what we're experiencing. So I wanted to, I don't know, think about collecting some of them in a package and trying to understand what they do. And all of this work is with the aim of trying to figure out how we can live a better life. How can our emotions help us achieve richer and fuller lives? And what I found is in all those three cases, in all three topics of the book, boredom, frustration, anticipation, all three of them are indications that somehow and for some reason, we found ourselves in a present situation which is not satisfactory to us. But at the same time, they are powerful motivators and they move us and they try to get us to a better future, to a life that is closer to our, um, that has more of our goals met. Yes, I think that comes through very well. These, um, as you argue, are motivating emotions. I guess that gets to the next question is what, does that, what is that summoning from us as individuals? We need to do a little bit of work. We need to perhaps um, acknowledge that we're feeling this way and then do something to, to kind of turn the tide, to make sure that we're doing something positive. So I guess, what are some things that, that you have observed from people in your uh, analysis or even as you personally? Yeah, I- The first thing is, I think we need to cultivate our emotional literacy. And what I mean by that is that we need some time to ourselves to understand our emotions. And that's not always easy, uh, especially when the emotions are strong and powerful. But it is important to be able to distinguish, let's say, between apathy or boredom, frustration or anger. Because once we know what emotions we're experiencing, then that can help us make sense of our situation. And so that is a beginning point um, that's very important and a lesson that we can apply. At the same time, and I think, you know, we are now in a moment of crisis with COVID and the pandemic and all the measures that are in place. Uh, But we should try to, in, in a way, think about what matters to us the most. And I think anticipation does that very well. If we start thinking about, you know, when the pandemic hit in April um, and we were, well, when, when the measures started in April, I would rather say, we were all anticipating, we we're all expecting things to do. And so trying to think, what are the things that you're missing the most? What are the things that you're anticipating the most? That can put our life in some kind of order. And it can show us, well, this is what matters to you as a person. And so maybe put your resources there. My guest today is Andreas Elpidoru. He is the author of a new book. It's titled Propelled, How Boredom, Frustration, and Anticipation Lead Us to the Good Life. You know, one of the things that I found um, just remarkable about the book is that um, while it is published by uh, a university press, it is very accessible. And I would like to know a bit about how you think about emotional management and how it relates to what we might have been taught as children. I was always told 
we were never allowed to say I'm bored. We were just told to go do something, get get your mind on something else. And I'm curious what you were raised to believe and um, what triggered this interest in this field of academic study. Well, to be honest, I don't remember, I don't recall receiving any specific advice. Um, my parents were both working long hours and even during the weekend. Um, so I spent a lot of time with my siblings, but I was also very fortunate to live in a neighborhood that um, that had a lot of kids around my, my, my age. So I played a lot in my preteen years. But I remember um, when I was becoming, as I was becoming a teenager and then later on as a young adult, that boredom kind of hit. And there was a drastic change in my experience of the world and of free time. And in retrospect, I'm trying to make sense of that experience. And I think there are at least two things that can help us or help me understand why we might undergo those changes, developmentally at least. One of, one of those facts and one of those features that we can bring um, to help us understand the situation has to do with constraints and requirements. And I think when we're growing up during being a teenager or a young adult, there are a lot of things there for us. There are a lot of requirements. Um, we're constantly told what to do and what not to do. And we know from our research that boredom arises in situations that we lack freedom and autonomy, the ability to do what we want to be doing. The other thing that I've I've started thinking more and more has to do with the fact that when you are a, a teenager or a young adult, we still don't know ourselves very well. And one of the realizations that the, the literature on emotion shows and a lesson that um, has taught us is that the more we know ourselves, the better we know ourselves, the better we can deal with our emotions. So if I, you can, you can experience boredom, and that can drive you to search to find something more meaningful or more exciting. But if you don't know what's meaningful to you or if you don't know what might excite you, then you might end up doing the wrong thing or you might end up replacing one empty time with another period of empty time. You know, we want to avoid boredom, but at the same time, we want to really understand it when it arises. So um, I'm also a parent and naturally my kids get bored uh -huh. and it's hard to give them advice. It's hard to tell them what to do. And in some ways, we shouldn't. Um, any activity that I'm going to suggest, it seems imposed and externally placed upon them. And so I think really, if they want to figure out their boredom and how to deal with that emotion, they have to find it themselves. So I tell them, you know, try to think about what's going on. If you need a change of environment, the best lesson we can learn is trying to figure out techniques that can help us personally to figure out how to deal with our emotions. As I mentioned earlier, you have kind of merged um, and you're treating boredom, frustration, and anticipation together um, to help us think about how we can live a better life. And I found the sections on frustration really compelling. For starters, you argue that there's this sort of generic hypothesis that kind of links frustration and aggressive behavior. And you argue that is far too simplistic and that we need to look at the fact that it it kind of summons self-control and it off, frustration offers us a choice. Can you give us a little bit of background on 
on frustration specifically and why you wanted to study it and why it's important for us to conquer this. So part of the aim of the book is to also show how complex our emotions can be. And I think frustration is a great example of that emotional complexity. But we can begin with the basic and we can ask the question, what is frustration? And the answer to that is that frustration is a negatively, an unpleasantly felt reaction when a goal that matters to us becomes blocked. Hmm. So in other words, we want to achieve something and we just can't. Something stands in the way. So when that happens, we become frustrated. But frustration is complex, as I hinted, and involves a lot of elements. And so the first thing that we need to um, point out is that the very experience of frustration is informative. Frustration is like a, a teacher or a potential teacher. It lets us know that certain things matter to us and other things don't. So if we want to ask the question, what are the things that are important to us? Well, the answer is, those are the things that potentially can frustrate you. So um, we're frustrated only when goals that are important and close to us can be a, cannot be achieved. So um, when frustration arises, it is a sign that, look, there's something important there, but it still remains out of reach. So the first element of frustration, it's the potential that it carries to let us know what matters and what is important to us. Mm. The other part, which is equally important, is that we should think of frustration as a motivator or as an energizer. It gives us energy. And it gives us energy that we might need in order to overcome the blocks and overcome the obstacles that, lay, uh, that are in front of us, that are in our path. And so there's, there's a lot in frustration. And I think one of, one of the greatest lessons that I've learned personally while writing and researching this book is how much there is in frustration and how much more work we need to do in order to understand um, the potential benefits, but also some of the harms that might come along with frustration. And now, especially, this is the time I think we all you know, with with um, COVID and the pandemic and all of the, and everything else that goes around with social issues that we're dealing with, um, we're frustrated. And it is important to know how to use frustration, I think, productively and in a way that's beneficial to us and beneficial to others as well. I am really quite inspired by this, um, the way you've laid this out. And I, I should also mention that um, while the topics are very serious, you bring in some wonderful illustrations to demonstrate frustration. And I thought that the uh, IKEA furniture building example was perfect because so many people have brought home um, these big slabs of boxes and think that we can manage to get this together. And then it turns into a cycle of uh, bitter frustration and it tests us, it tests our breaking points. And what you argue in the book is that frustration will test us, but it also, um, it also reveals how important a project or a, a pastime might be to us. We, we develop an attachment to it. So your, your suggestion is to um, analyze frustration, navigate that feeling and kind of try to become a bit more resilient. We shouldn't be afraid of frustration, at least at the beginning. Right? I, if things get too frustrating or um, we're frustrated too much or for too long, then okay, that might be a breaking point. That might be a situation that we need to avoid. But we should also remember that the things that are effortful, 
frustrating or difficult. So think of a hard workout um, or a difficult assignment or writing a poem or I don't know, um, learning an instrument or even raising a child. Those are all really hard and frustrating activities. But because they're hard and frustrating, they mean a great deal to us and we value them dearly and we want to achieve them and we want to do them. I think this is such an exciting area of research. And um, so let me ask you about the writing of this book. You, this, I mean, this is something that you have studied for years and you wrote this book, Propelled, um, prior to the pandemic. And now we know that um, mental health is, um, it's a huge concern um, globally. And we're going to see different research, different implications um, from prolonged periods of kind of change and isolation. As a philosopher and researcher, what what do you think you'll be analyzing in terms of these these prolonged periods of change? Yeah, this is a really hard question, but I think it's it's really important for me and for everybody um, who's doing similar work to really think hard about. Um, I'm concerned about the potential effects of boredom on individuals during the pandemic. Um, and I say that because I have now come to think and I think believe that boredom can be unfair and sometimes even unjust. And what I mean by that is that although boredom is democratic in the sense that it's going to bother everyone and it's going to affect us all, it doesn't affect everyone in the same way. And so some of us can deal with boredom easily, productively, but others might be harmed by it. And whether we can use boredom productively or not, it would ultimately depend on our resources. And this can be material resources, social resources, or even psychological resources. So boredom is going to affect someone who's living alone differently than someone who's sharing a space with their family, for instance. And so we want to think about the different ways um, that boredom can affect individuals. And depending on, you know, do you have to work overtime? Are you forced to work overtime? Do you have time to listen to the radio? Do you have time to read a book? Do you have time to go for a walk? If yes, that might be a way of dealing with boredom in a beneficial or healthy way. If not, then what are you going to do when boredom arises? And so I, as a researcher, and I think others as well, we want to think hard about those questions and try to help individuals to find ways that can address the emotion of boredom and frustration. Hmm. Do you anticipate you'll be looking at this both from an individual perspective and then a community perspective? Um, I think that in the United States, we have a tendency to not maybe engage in communal activities as much as other countries. Will you be looking at that in a community sense as well? Yeah. Um, so right now, um, that's a, it's a really nice way of putting it because it also um, highlights a change that has happened in the history of the study of Bordeaux. Uh, 50 or 60 years ago, or even 100 or 200 years ago, boredom was understood to be a social phenomenon, uh, first and foremost. And I think now we've changed that. Boredom is study, you know, we study individuals, how they're bored. We bring them in labs. We ask them questions. We put them in fMRIs. But I think it's time to expand our scope again. 
and try to look at boredom as a social phenomenon. And one of the projects that I'm working right now is try to understand how material conditions, you know, your income, the resources that you have, can affect your experience of boredom. One thing I found really hopeful in this book is that you shared some research that shows that we are actually more, we can be more creative when we're bored. There have been studies that show that creativity can flourish in periods of boredom. And you do address that. Can you touch on that concept just a bit? There are going to be great things about boredom if we're able to direct it in the right way. So if if someone is interested in creativity and has, um, developed creative outlets, then moments of boredom might be an ignition point, something that's necessary to get them to change how things are done, to try something new, um, something different or something unique. So this drive that boredom has in it, um, the push that it gives us, if we can direct it in the right way, it can be very beneficial. And it can be beneficial for us and companies if we are able to kind of drive boredom in the right way. But we also know that sometimes we can direct boredom to help us be more pro-social and perhaps help others. There's going to be, there's also the flip side of that. Um, Boredom might help us or might um, hinder our behavior and it can hinder our moral existence and make us worse individuals. But that depends on us. And so I think what's really valuable and important about boredom is that we are in control of it when we have the resources. And so it's up to us to choose how to use it. So it's not, it's not a passion that just arises out of nowhere and that we have, that we can all respond to it. It requires some cultivation. Exactly. The book that we're talking about today, the title is Propelled, How Boredom, Frustration, and Anticipation Lead Us to the Good Life. The author is Andreas Elpidoro, and it was published by Oxford University Press. Andreas, I feel like there's going to be another book in a few years. There's so much, there'll be so much more to study from this uh, period of time that we're going through now. Mm-hmm. As, as this unfolds, um, where can listeners learn more about you and um, and anything you want to share about what you're working on now? Yeah, so the best place it's is to go to my website if anyone is interested, which is my last name dot um, net, and then you can get all the information and you can you can get in touch with me with any questions or experiences of boredom or frustration, <laughs> um, and you can read more about my writing and the work I'm currently doing. There will be no shortage of concern about these uh, emotional states that you have highlighted and spent years analyzing. And I just want to thank you again for joining the program today. This has been enlightening and really intriguing. Thank you very much. The pleasure is all mine.
You've been listening to Real Fiction on WERA 96.7 FM in Arlington, Virginia, streaming on WERA.FM. To learn more about today's guest, visit realfictionradio.com. All of our episodes are archived on the website and your favorite podcast platforms. Thanks for listening.